Support for this podcast comes from Jobico. Jobico provides the next generation job board software and AI-enabled matching technology, combining both the benefits of a scalable SaaS platform and the flexibility of a custom solution. With Jobico, businesses can reach a new level of quality and professionalism in online recruiting and can take advantage of the rapidly changing market. Jobico helps leading brands in 12 markets globally to engage talent and grow revenues with job boards. To find out more, go to www.jobico.com. That's www.jobico.com and Jobico is spelled J-O-B-I-Q-O. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 215 of the Recruiting Future podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I had the great pleasure of attending the TA Tech North America event in Austin, Texas. There was some great content and some great discussions exploring the current and future state of talent acquisition technology. In this week's show, I have four interviews to give you a flavour of the topics we discussed. First up is Terry Baker, CEO of Pando Logic. Terry presented the findings of the annual talent acquisition technology stack survey, and I caught up with him just after he'd come off stage to find out more. I'm Terry Baker. I'm the CEO of Pandologic, and we had the you know opportunity to present here at TA Tech research findings on the way employers and solution providers view the tech stack for talent acquisition. So fantastic! Um, I think it's a really interesting piece of research. Could you just sort of give us the the, the top line highlights, some of the things that you were that you were talking about in your presentation? Sure. So there were three key takeaways, and all deal with the fact that there's a big disconnect between the way employers view the tech stack and the way vendors view the tech stack. The first of which is the value proposition vendors bring to the table. You know what at the end of the day employers are looking for is quality of hire and time to hire and the key tech stack value prop employers uh, rather suppliers are pushing is all about cost to hire which makes no sense right in today's economy with low unemployment, right? It's not about cost, it's about filling a seat. So that was one key takeaway. Another one was um, whether or not employers should continue to seek kind of best of breed products that tend to lack a little bit in the tech stack integration because they're newer to market, right? They're leading edge, but they haven't matured enough to actually go through the whole integration process. And when you're not integrated, that means pain for employers in, in the adoption cycle. So you've got to do both. If you're going to be a good solution provider, you've got to be best of breed, but you also have to make the product investment on the integration front. And it's a continued investment. It continues to change year over year. And the other is the education efforts. Um, We didn't seek to really learn this in terms of the tech stack, but adoption for employers is really based upon how well recruiters have an efficiency or understanding of how the product works and how it should be used best. And vendors, frankly, aren't doing a good enough job yet on educating their clients, both pre-sale, 
and post-sale to maximize the use out of those products. So there's there's work to be done there on, on the vendor part. So you, you, you do this research every every year. Sort of based on what you're hearing at the moment, how much do you think things are going to change in the next year? What If we're having this conversation um, this time in 2020, what would we be talking about? The same things or are there some, some trends and some things that we should look out for? Yeah, so as it relates to the tech stack, there's going to be continuous change. And we've seen major entrants into the marketplace. And I think there is the hope by employers that big platform providers, the Oracles, right, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsoft LinkedIn's are going to be this end-to-end, you know, talent solution provider and they'll only have to deal with, you know, one vendor. That's not going to happen. What you're going to see is such continuous uh, evolution and advancement of technology that integration is going to have to be something that employers resource for. They either got to get it from their vendor or they've got to commit the resources internally to ensure that when they adopt a best-of-breed product, which is going to have fundamental benefits for them, right? Game-changer kind of benefits like AI. Vendors talk in the context of AI that gets translated into real benefits in terms of time to fill, quality of hire, etc. So when you want to adopt that, take advantage of it, you can't just do it on a point product. You got to make a much bigger investment and be prepared on, on the HR side to accommodate that kind of in- integration. Next up is George LaRocque from HR Wins. George is a very close observer of investment in the HR tech space, and I was keen to find out how 2019 was shaping up in terms of investment in talent acquisition technology. I am George LaRocque. I'm the founder and principal analyst at HR Wins. Fantastic. Now, you've just come off the stage and you were uh, presenting the, the data that you have about mergers, ac- acquisitions and, and investment in the TA tech space. Tell us about what you're sort of seeing so far in 2019. Well, we're about to close Q3, calendar Q3 in 2019. So today uh, for the TA tech audience, it was an update. A uh, bit of an annual update, bit of a quarterly update. So, uh, so far this year, uh, so we'll, we'll call it the end of Q3, even though we have a few days, uh, we've seen about $4.2 billion of investment come into HR Tech across uh, 170 deals. And this quarter, we've seen about $964 million uh, and 58 of those 170 deals. So this quarter, you know, a billion dollars, you know, in investment in a quarter is significant. Um, it's a slight dip from where we've been, although annually we've already matched what we did in 2018. So, you know, all systems are go for investment. Um, things are still chugging along. Um, you know, we still have Q4 left, which historically is a pretty big quarter for, you know, closing deals out. Uh, so I, I, I would expect us to exceed $5 billion, maybe even reach $6 billion this year, which would, I think that would be a new record. And what are the, the key market segments that are getting the most investment? So the, uh, the, the categories that get the most investment are uh, HCM, so all your core HR and talent acquisition. I I track against three categories, HCM, talent acquisition, and talent management. So all of your performance management, learning, employee engagement fits there. Uh, It's generally 
50-50 between HCM and talent acquisition. HCM gets uh, bigger deals. You've got a lot of payroll, benefits technology, uh, core HR systems where every company of every size needs something in that, in that uh, category. Whereas in talent acquisition, we see a lot of smaller deals. We see big deals, but we see a lot of point solutions, a lot of anything from sourcing candidates to assessments to any little uh, component that you might use through the whole process. Jessica Miller-Merrill is a longtime practitioner and observer of the talent acquisition market. It was great to get her views on the topics being discussed. My name's Jessica Miller-Merrill. I'm the founder and CEO of Workology. Workology is an online destination for HR and recruiting leaders. Fantastic. Now, um, you've been at the event for a couple of days and you're someone who's very much on the pulse of talent acquisition and uh, technology and, and everything that's going on. What have your sort of main takeaways been from the event so far? I think there's a long way to go in recruitment marketing. People are in a lot of different places uh, as far as practitioner-wise, and, and they have different learning curves and different stages. And, of course, they're supporting uh, businesses that are incredibly unique. And you have to find the right vendor or solution or technology to be able to help solve those challenges that are uniquely yours. Absolutely. And what's been the most sort of interesting thing you've seen at this conference so far? For practitioners, this conference is interesting because uh, you are likely unaware of the buying and selling of candidate information and traffic that's being redirected to different places. So if you advertise on one job board, doesn't mean that your posting is going to end up on that job board only. That was something that I didn't realize until I started being involved with TA Tech and going to these conferences. And do you think, I mean, because there's a, you, you kind of see these platforms sort of passing traffic around and I completely get it from a finding the critical mass of audience um, perspective. But for me, there's still a lot of work to do on the candidate experience side of that, because I think people can sometimes get very confused about where they're applying and what's what's going on. I mean, what's your what's your take on that? I think there's a lot of, of that happening where you maybe visit Glassdoor, you click on a job posting and then you go to a completely other site. Candidates don't know that this is happening. A lot of them are more security aware. And I've seen a number of job seekers on social media say, I'm trying to get, somebody's trying to hack me, this is happening. So I do think that job boards and these aggregators need to be a, maybe a little bit more transparent and let candidates know what is happening. It might be a little box that they check, just like we do when we agree to the new software upgrade on our iPhone, but at least we're making them aware um, of, of you know the information that's being shared. Absolutely. And what's your prediction for the next 12 to 18 months in talent acquisition? Um, obviously impossible to, to make predictions, but you know, what do you think is going to happen? If we were talking in uh, this time in 2020, what would we be talking about? Probably nothing, because it's stayed the same since you and I have known each other. Really, there's been some small changes, but I, I would really like to see some more customized experiences. I'd like to see recruiters being more marketers and thinking about the journey or spending more time qualifying candidates and building those funnels and being more proactive. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to be there by 2020, maybe 2022, if the economy holds. Jessica, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. Finally, it was my turn to take the stage and host a fireside chat with Sharon Offord, VP Strategic Partnerships and Alliances at Direct Employers Association. 
In the interview, we talk about the relationship between employers and vendors, flexible working, accessibility, diversity, and the future of talent acquisition technology. Hello, hello. Oh, it's on straight away. There we are. That, th- that threw me. I was expecting to say testing, testing or something. I get to have a really comfy chair. This is, uh, this is, this is, this is great. So I'm the producer and host of the Recruiting Future podcast, which is one of the world's most popular podcasts on um, recruiting technology and recruiting innovation. But enough about me and onto, uh, onto, onto my guest for this fireside chat. Um, we've got the comfy chairs. We don't have a fire, but we can, we can kind of imagine <laughs> we can we can imagine that's that's the case. Um, so, um, Shannon, first of all, could you just start by introducing yourself, telling us a bit about your background and what you do? Yeah, so um, thanks for, for having me, uh, and uh, thank you for allowing me to come to Austin. Uh, actually, the first thing I did when I got here was buy a new pair of cowboy boots, so uh, pretty, pretty happy about that. But uh, I know probably a lot of you out there already. Um, I've actually uh, been in the industry, gosh, 20 years now. So I spent uh, five and a half years at uh, Monster, um, left there in 2006, um, came to direct employers. Uh, it was kind of an odd situation. Uh, I'd cashed all my stock options in uh, at, uh, at Monster and planned on hanging out and being a bum for a year. And Chad Sowash, I don't know if he's there somewhere, found out I was going to leave Monster and called me and asked me to come over and talk to direct employers. And uh, 14 years later, I'm still there. So uh, I, I know that 14 years at one company is kind of, kind of an odd situation, but uh, it's been a fun ride. Uh, we've been able to do some really cool things. Um, you know, my role is to manage all of our uh, external partnerships. So my team manages all of our state relationships that we have, all of our federal relationships. Um, we work with a lot of nonprofits across the country. Uh, I work with a lot of agencies, a lot of HR technology vendors soon to be doing some uh, global expansion and my team will handle that as well. So um, obviously we've got um, a quite an international audience in the room. So could you sort of very quickly just um, give people a quick overview of the Direct Employees Association if they've not come across it before and talk a bit about the aims and objectives? Yeah, so uh, we are a nonprofit. Uh, we started in 2001. Um, Bill Warren, uh, who recently passed away, um, who some people consider the founder of online recruitment, uh, started the association with 14 employers. Uh, the initial goal was to really uh, bring employers together to help them um, really figure out uh, some of the recruitment technology and build some tools and technologies that they could share uh, that would make recruiting more cost effective. Um, that's still something that we're doing today, but one thing I think that most people know of us know about us right now is that we're really um, the driver um, of jobs into state workforce agencies, uh, into federal portals. Uh, we do a lot of work around diversity um, and veterans. Uh, but really, um, we really want to make uh, help our members with recruiting, uh, obviously making that cost effective, helping with veterans, individual disabilities, um, diversity. Um, and making sure they're meeting their OFCCP obligations. Kind of moving on to some insights. Um, what, what do you feel are the three biggest challenges for employers at the moment in the, in the current market? I mean, obviously, everyone's trying to, to find the right talent. Uh, that's really big. Um, 
You know, a lot of our members consistently ask us where to start looking for talent. You know, one thing that we've been talking to them about, I mean, they, a lot of times they put these requirements in like degrees and those types of things and really try to recruit for experience. Like, have they done this job before? Um, you know, one thing that we're talking about is aptitude, right? So if someone has the aptitude to do the job, you can teach them the skills that they need once they're there. Um, so that's one thing that we're talking about to try to help them with trying to find the right talent. So, so that's really big. Uh, a lot of them are still trying to figure out the recruitment technologies. Um, they're struggling with that. And there's a lot of buzzwords out there that they keep hearing. Um, you know, AI, big data, they keep hearing all these things. They have no idea what it means. Um, you know, so they've been asking you know, us, you know, can you help us with this? Um, can we understand, which is one of the biggest reasons we wanted to partner with TA Tech. You know, I think the, the third thing um, for us, and this is kind of a unique just to us, I think, is because we are so entrenched in compliance, that's an issue for them. They want to make sure that whatever they're using is going to make sure, keep them in compliance with the regulations that most of our members have to follow since they're federal contractors, for the most part. I think 97% of our members are federal contractors. Absolutely, we'll kind of come back to compliance um, again a little bit a little bit later. And I, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about the um, the buzzwords and understanding the market and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, I do some consulting work and I've had two very big employers um, phone me up this year and say, we need some AI, where do we buy some AI? And um, it's kind of crazy in terms of what, what, what you need it to do and what is it? So, you, know, you know, the funny um, thing is, is that we, just a, a quick story. So uh, we had a couple of our members that were, you know, uh, they approached us about AI and they're like, you know, all these companies are talking about AI and, you know, they all can't really do AI. And I'm like, just to give an example, like a chat bot, right? A lot of that is just a table. You know, but people are marketing it as AI. So I think trying to help employers understand truly what AI is, is important, right? So people say, oh, it's AI infused or this or that, but no, it's just really a table. Yeah, I mean, and I think we're, we're on a topic now where we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but, um, <laughs> um, but just sort of moving, moving on to sort of the, the shape of the workforce. So as, um, and a couple of people have mentioned this on, on stage already today, uh, as, as we're kind of moving towards a sort of a more gig-based economy and more flexible working patterns, how do you think that's impacting the way employers are looking to attract and retain talent? You know, I go back, and this is a unique position to us, you know, people are worried about how this gig economy is going to affect com compliance for them. I mean, that's, you know, what we continue to hear. You know, a lot of them are, you know, they understand that that's the way or the future of work. You know, I will give you one interesting stat just real quick, and, and I just got this recently, but uh, in 2015, a lot of people were talking about, you know, this whole flexible working environment and this whole gig economy. And if you look at some of the numbers we received um, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, there's actually been a decline in the amount of flexibility that employers are giving right now, um, which I find pretty interesting. I mean, if you even think about IBM, I mean, they pulled a lot of their work from home people and made them come back in the office recently. Uh, and, and we're seeing a lot more of that in some of the bigger, older types of companies. You know, some of the younger cool companies are still doing the whole flexible thing, um, which I'm totally good with. Um, but I think it's really, it's kind of a mixed situation right now. But I think the companies who are doing it and have done it successfully um, are probably getting more productivity out of their workers. Um, but I think, like I said, our companies are kind of all over the board on that. You know, some are pulling back, some are, are adding 
you know, Tua. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that there is a perception that everyone's embracing flexible working yeah, and it's kind of the way forward. But as you say, the data doesn't, doesn't back that up. And um, what you're saying about the, the increasing productivity and the advantage for an employer of doing it. I had um, a guest on the podcast, podcast a couple of weeks ago um, called Anna Whitehouse, who's running a national campaign in the UK for more flexible working and is trying to put um, uh, laws through Parliament to, to, to kind of improve the situation. And um, the amount of data that she had from companies who were more productive, making more money, adding more shareholder value from flexible working was, was amazing. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be an issue that we talk about a lot moving forward. Moving, moving on to recruiting technology and how employers are buying recruiting technology. What's the, what's the sort of the buying process for them? What are, the, what are the key issues? What kind of decision-making processes are going on when it comes to purchasing um, recruiting technology? Yeah, so, and I know that this has been talked about before, but, you know, companies want to know, you know, about integrations. You know, who integrates with what? Who does this? Who does that? Uh, I mean, obviously, that's really important. Um, I think another thing uh, that, that we're seeing is that people or employers want to go where they can get multiple services from the same vendor. Um, it looks like they want to reduce the number of vendors they have, whether it be just for you know, sheer you know, accounting reasons or whether it be from they know if they're getting uh, multiple products from the same vendor, they know that those products will talk to each other. Um, you know, one other thing that we've been seeing a lot lately, uh, and this may be because of um, the majority of our members being federal contractors, um, with the whole um, 503 focused reviews. And those are reviews that the OFCCP is going to do um, strictly on um, disability um, types of issues. So, um, so what we've been hearing, uh, employers are really worried about are the tools they are using, are they accessible? Um, so um, their recruitment marketing platform may be accessible. Um, but how someone got to that recruitment marketing platform may not be accessible. And when they leave that recruitment marketing platform and go into the ATS, is that ATS going to be accessible? Because if it's not, then their complete process obviously is not accessible. And they're worried about that because the OFCCP, like I mentioned, is doing focused reviews just on that particular piece right now. And they're actually going to move that towards uh, veterans here um, in November. So then employers will have an additional focus around vets as well. So, Sort of sticking with the, the, the buying process, um, what's the sort of the best and worst things you're seeing um, vendors doing during the, the sort of consideration and, and buying process? And have you got any advice on, on how, how they could improve? Well, a lot of them are using these buzzwords that people don't understand. Um, so, uh, you know, when they talk about these things, people are like, huh, what? Um, and then when they're asked to kind of back it up, then they really can't tell the real story of what's going on. Um, you know, so that's something that we've seen over and over and over again. You know, another thing we've, you know, we've seen um, when people talk about, you know, we've done, especially because, you know, a lot of companies know that our members are federal contractors. Um, they'll start talking to them about, you know, some of the testing that they've done and just kind of you know, they'll say, oh, we've, did this, we've done this and this and whatever, but then they never actually explain what they've really done. Uh, so that leaves people somewhat confused. So I think a lot of us just really confusion, right? I mean, they're, they're using terms and technology, I mean, in, a, in terms that people don't understand, but they keep hearing it, right? So 
Uh, they're like, okay, we've got to do some investigation, which again is why one of the reasons we wanted to partner with TA Tech and, and get some of that information out and uh, help people understand what's going on. So uh, Absolutely. We need to buy some AI and we need it now. <laughs> and I think that's interesting. And I, and I, I kind of see that there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a mismatch in language and sometimes a mismatch in objectives. Yep. And I think sometimes what vendors think is important to yep. employers isn't at all or is, you know, number 10 on their list of, right. list of priorities. And actually, if you spoke in language that addressed number one or two, that might make it an easier process. Maybe. You know, one thing I will add, I think as more and more, and I don't want to Keep talking about compliance, but obviously that's a space that we are, are in um, very intimately. I think when you start to, to look at, you know, is compliance or a system being compliant, is that one of the reasons why someone would buy it? And I think as you see more and more companies allowing or having their compliance people at the table, that will be more of a consideration on who they decide to use. Uh, it may not be so much right at this particular moment. Uh, but we do know that there have been companies that we've worked with um, that have said that they will not purchase a particular uh, vendor's product because they know that that system's not compliant and they don't want to get in trouble later down the road. So, um, you know, I obviously come from a for-profit company. Uh, it was a long time ago. And I, and I do know kind of how companies uh, look at if they're going to make a product accessible or not, right? So. They want to know what the costs are going to be to that, and they want to know what that, the benefit, once they do it, what the benefit's going to be down the road, right? Is it actually going to bring in more business or not? And if they don't feel it is, then they kind of push that to the side. Um, and I think eventually, which I think that eventually will be soon, that will start to hurt some of the vendors who actually take that approach. Final question from me, and then maybe we can um, see if there are some, there are some questions around the, around, the, around the room. What can recruitment technology vendors be doing to help promote and achieve um, more workforce diversity? Well, I mean, one thing, I never, like I go to a lot of diversity conferences, right? Um, and the only <laughs> vendors I see there are vendors who are particularly, or actually focus on that space, right? Um, so I don't see other vendors who um, it would affect, but that's not their main business at those conferences, so they can learn about really what's going on. Um, you know, I'm actually, when I head from here, I'm going to a um, pretty large disability event, um, and I guarantee there will probably be maybe two companies from this space that'll be there, but I think it's important to understand kind of what's going on out there so you can actually make your, pro, uh, your product uh, more effective in those uh, areas. Fantastic. And I suppose, to, to, to just get you to do a sort of summary question, out of sort of all the things that we've, that we've talked about, if you're going to give people sort of, uh, you know, one takeaway to go and think about in terms of how they, how they build, market, and sell their products, what, what would that takeaway be? Well, I mean, I think accessibility is something that's very important, and it's just going to get bigger and bigger. Um, if you look at our, I mean, people are getting older, and they're working longer, um, and they're gonna be more and more people who have a disability, right? Whether it be that they can't see far or close up or whatever it be, um, it's funny. So I'm colorblind, and nobody ever focuses on that. <laughs> um, and you know, there's a lot of times I go up to a website and I can't even see it. I mean, I, it's like just ridiculous. I'm like, oh, this all looks the same to me, whatever. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, focusing on that or at least taking that into consideration is something that's really important because I think if you do, um, especially as people get older and work, you know, uh, later in life and, you know, become, 
you know, we're going to see more and more people become or have disabilities as we go on. If they can actually talk to that and talk about what they've done, I think uh, that will show a lot uh, to some of these employers who are looking for uh, those types of uh, products with that type of capability at this point. I mean, everything that we're doing right now um, really is going to have, um, is going to be accessible. Um, all the products, um, services that we provide, it's something that our members expect from us. Um, it's something they're asking about in the marketplace, and we think that you know, we, we have to do that, and we're encouraging uh, people to do that as well. Um, I, have one more, I have one more quick question. It's a question that I asked, ask everyone who comes on my, comes on my podcast, um, so I'll ask it in this, in this live version. Can you buy me dinner? Yes. So where do you think we're going next? What, what's the future look like? What, um, you know, what do you think we'll be sort of focusing on um, in, in a couple of years' time when it comes to talent acquisition and technology? Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, actually, one of my friends asked me that exact same question. Uh, who's a rep for um, one of the um, vendors that, that we work with? Um, I think a couple things. So one, um, I think the way we sell to employers today, and not just us, but everyone, um, will change, especially if you're in the advertising piece of it. Um, I think eventually the majority of companies, employers, will use programmatic. Um, I know Cindy was at our, I don't know if she's here, she was at our conference uh, this past year and asked a question about how many people were using programmatic and very few people raised their hand. Um, but I think it was like 10 people raised their hand or something like that in a room of maybe 50, 60 people. Um, that will change, right? I mean, you will see more and more people starting to raise their hand and there probably will be less or fewer and fewer direct reps because programmatic will will be the, the way that uh, employers uh, actually will start buying their advertising. Right now, they're just not educated enough to do it. Um, I mean, their marketing teams are. I mean, they know how to do it because they've been doing that for a long time. Um, but people in our space haven't you know, been doing that. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, I also think that AI uh, is going to play a bigger and bigger role. You know, and I think there's some, some danger in that, but I won't... Uh, get into that right now, but uh, I do think long term that will will really affect um, the recruitment industry as a whole. And it is a little bit right now, but not nearly what it's going to do uh, eventually. And obviously, the, the whole you know gig economy that will also I think play a larger and larger role because employees or potential employees will make it or f will force that issue. Um, because they won't be like me at, being at the same employer for 14 years. Uh, not that that's a bad thing, but uh, yeah, you definitely won't see that uh, long term. So, Shannon, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks. Thank you. My thanks to Terry Baker, George LaRock, Jessica Miller Merrill, Shannon Offord, and of course, industry legend Peter Weddle for inviting me to the event. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify or Pandora user, you could also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. Uh, uh.